Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is NFL Monday here after week 14. This should be a fun NFL Monday podcast because some of these games might not have been very good, but I've still got some thoughts and feelings about a few teams learning some things from beating up on bad teams. I'm also going to slather myself in Kansas City Chiefs praise. Just slather everything in Kansas City Chiefs praise here on the podcast. Uh, And also, I am going to be very angry about Lamar Jackson. All of that coming up here on the podcast. But first, uh, we begin... With the afternoon session, for context of people listening to this, it is currently 5.30 West Coast time. Uh, Holy shit, the 49ers and Bengals game was absolutely bonkers. Holy shit, Tampa Bay. Holy shit, Buffalo. Jesus Christ, both of those games were ridiculous. They may not have been the storylines I cared most about this week, but after playing two overtime games simultaneously where the Bengals lead a 14-point comeback in nine minutes to force overtime against the 49ers, where the Buffalo Bills had a 17-point comeback in 11 minutes to force overtime against Tampa, and then all of their efforts go for naught. By the way, both teams getting to possess the ball at the start of overtime, the comeback teams. Buffalo came back from 17, got to start with the ball in overtime, Cincinnati came back from 14 down in 10 minutes, and they got to start with the ball in overtime. Neither team ended up winning because of heroic performances by, well, sort of Tom Brady because the Buffalo defense kind of let up at the end and let Brashad Perriman have a 50-yard game-winning touchdown. So that one wasn't as much Tom Brady. You know what was big win for the 49ers, though? Coming up clutch, George Mother Bleepin' Kittle. Last two weeks for George Kittle, he has 24 catches for 330 receiving yards, and he carried the 49ers, carried them. The 49ers lose if not for the efforts of George Kittle, and we can quantify that on just a few plays, like not even the 
the way that people do it where they're like, this person carried them to a victory. No, if George Kittle is not as large and as amazingly skilled as George Kittle is, they don't catch the ball that sets up what would have been the game-winning field goal, but then Robbie Gould missed it. George Kittle doesn't catch the Jimmy G pass right down the middle to set up the touchdown to Brandon Ayuk. Like, they don't win the game if not for the efforts of George Kittle. Plus, before all that, having 12 catches, 142 yards, and a touchdown. Debo Samuel was there this week, as opposed to last week, where Kittle just put up 180 receiving yards against the Seahawks, and it didn't matter because the Seahawks' offense just put up tons of points, and Kittle was the entire offense for the 49ers. No, San Francisco used Kittle, used Ayuk used Debo Samuel, no Elijah Mitchell this week. So they said, bleep it, we're going to the passing attack. We're going to be the anti-49ers and just dominate Cincinnati. And they did dominate Cincinnati. Their defense dominated Cincinnati. And then the Bengals had a miraculous comeback. And so I wanted to talk about this from the perspective of the Bengals after giving George Kittle all the proper praise that he deserves because, good Lord, that was amazing by George Kittle. Um, I wanted to give the proper praise there and then talk about the Bengals because the Cincinnati Bengals are probably going to be the outside looking in team at this point. And again, I talked about this earlier in the year that the Bengals weren't really a playoff team because of how difficult that schedule was at the end of the year. The Bengals are a very good team, but they're also a team that can be beat by other very good teams in the NFL. Bengals at the start of the year were a team that if you told them, if you make the wild card this year, that would be a huge success for the Bengals. And they just happen to be playing in an AFC that now has the Baltimore, an AFC North that has the Steelers with no offensive game plan ability, the Browns who have been battling injuries all year, but now the Browns have the same record as them miraculously, and the Ravens who might not have Lamar Jackson for the rest of the season. So one of the teams might have to get into the playoffs by default in that division. But as it stands, I'm just going to assume Baltimore is is going to be able to patch it together and stay alive in that race. The Bengals are a team that feels like they're going to hang around 500, and the rest of their schedule looks like Broncos, Ravens, Chiefs, and Browns. So they're a team that feels like under the best of circumstances is going to finish the year 2-2, two and two, which gets them to about 9-8. and eight. And that may that means they probably won't make the playoffs just because of how tiebreakers break for them and the Ravens just need one win probably against them and they'll clinch a playoff spot. They're going to have to beat the Ravens for any chance to win the division, of course, which just got a hell of a lot easier now that the, the Lamar Jackson might be out for a while. But the Bengals have had a really interesting swing this year where Trey Hendrickson has nine consecutive games with a sack and Jamar Chase puts up at the start of the year wide receiver two in fantasy numbers not number two wide receiver like number two overall fantasy wide receiver and then it kind of just falls apart after that for them where Jamar Chase only has 300 yards in the next I think it's six games after the one where he had 200 yards in it and Joe Burrow is I mean, the offensive line has fallen apart in recent weeks for the Bengals, and I know they've won a couple games here and there, but the offensive line just feels so disappointing because it felt like they had done just enough to get by, and then as injuries start to pile up, you see the Bengals um, today allow, I think, more pressures in that game than Joe Burrow had faced in any game all season, Nick Bosa having multiple sacks. Um, and the 49, By the way, the 49ers' secondary was not very good. It was just that Joe Burrow had no time to make his reads, 
make his throws. And ultimately, it, it didn't go the way the Bengals wanted until the end once the 49ers started playing prevent defense. Um, so, yeah, that part ends up being disappointing for the Bengals, but the lead-up to it felt really, really disappointing for them. And Trey Hendrickson's injury, by the way, if this is a significant injury, because I know that they said it was a back injury that he left with, if this is a significant injury, that's a huge decimator for the Cincinnati Bengals because that pass rush has been like the bulk of their defense, and obviously Jesse Bates coulda, shoulda, woulda had a pick six to beat the 49ers early in the game, and maybe this all changes because then they have the same record as Baltimore, and they can get by uh, even with Baltimore, even by not beating Baltimore in two weeks because the Ravens are maybe going to be without Lamar Jackson. It's just really interesting to see how the Bengals have tried to move the ball offensively this year. Obviously, they lost to the Chargers a couple weeks ago, and that's the one that still has a little bit of a sour taste in people's mouths when it comes to the Bengals. Fair or unfair, it's just kind of how that fell for the Bengals. They feel like a team that kind of just back and forth wins against bad teams, which is, again, a staple of a, a pretty good team, and then they're kind of 50-50 balling because the 49ers and the Bengals feel like identical teams, and that means in the terrible NFC that only has five good teams, the 49ers will be the sixth seed, and it means in the AFC the Bengals will probably miss the playoffs or get bounced in the first round. But again, it's a step forward for Cincinnati, and I think adjusting expectations there is important. Bringing it over to the Buffalo and Tampa game, we know Tampa's an elite team. Tampa proved it for three and a half quarters until their defense kind of fell apart. And by the way, that is going to be the crux for Tampa towards the back end of the season is, can their defense do just enough? It's the same same conversation we had before with uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Can their defense do just enough to get by? And their rush defense is really strong for Tampa, and their pass defense has gotten much better with Carlton Davis and Richard Sherman and Sean Murphy Bunting coming back. So it's not like it was before where teams can just only pass and still have a game plan against the Bucks. I say this fully acknowledging that the Buffalo Bills were the first team in 30 years with no rushes by a running back in the first half. They called zero design run plays against Tampa. They just they just said, we know Tampa's one of the best run stoppers in the NFL, and except when they played Washington for some reason, but Tampa's one of the best rush defenses in the NFL, if not the best rush defense in the NFL, and we're just not even going to try it. We have no faith in our running backs, no faith in our running game. We're just not even going to try them. We're just going to build a game plan with Josh Allen being the leading rusher with 12 carries for 109 yards, design quarterback runs, rollouts to his left, encouraging Josh Allen to run the football. Uh, Devin Singletary had the one big carry towards the end of the game where they picked up the steam a little bit, but before that they had four total rushing attempts, which is only slightly more than the Jaguars had today while scoring zero points against the Tennessee Titans, but still four rushing attempts. They have no faith in the running game, which is why a big picture question for Buffalo, because again, Buffalo, you're going to make the playoffs. Bills fans are 7-6 are and six right now. Um, if you're worried about not making the playoffs, I would say Bills fans could take a deep breath. We'll do it right now. As Aaron Rodgers says, R-E-L-A-X. You guys still have a very good football team. Can you stop the run? 
No. Does it make your defense one-dimensional? Yes. Can you run the football effectively on offense? No. Does that make your offense one-dimensional? Yes. Is that a problem? Yes. But these are things you'll address in the offseason. We talked about this uh, on the Slump Buster this week about how the Buffalo Bills are a fully formed team at this point. We know exactly what the Buffalo Bills are. And we can kind of expect what the Buffalo Bills can do each game, similarly to what happened in these last two games, where they were weird games with weird results, and it feels hard to draw conclusions from it. And at the same time, when you look on the back end, they feel about three points worse than the Tampa, than the, the, than the Patriots. They feel about six points worse than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's weird that the results end up playing out that way when it was so chaotic to get there. And that feels about where Buffalo is. Buffalo can beat teams that don't have first and second options on offense. When teams have three, four, five, six options to beat you on offense, Buffalo's defense kind of crumbles at the feet a little bit, especially without Tredavious White left this season. Offensively, Buffalo had this exact same problem last year, and we talked about this two weeks ago with our buddy Stripe Hype. Uh, I believe it was on our Black Friday podcast um, when we were talking about the Bills-Patriots game as a, as a kind of preview, knowing they were going to play in a little bit, and the Bills had just played on Thanksgiving. Buffalo in the playoffs last year against Baltimore had one carry by a running back in the first half. They ran 18 plays, 16 were passes, one was a rush, one, the, the last one was a design pass that was ran by Josh Allen. So they were the first team in 30 years today with no rushing attempts by a running back. But in the playoffs last year, they also only had one rushing attempt. So they almost broke the record there. The Bills desperately this offseason need to trade for a running back. They need to just gut their running back room, trade for a really, really good running back. I don't know if you can get Dalvin Cook. I would at least call. I don't know if you can get Christian McCaffrey. I would at least call. You might be able to get James Robinson from the Jaguars. I would definitely call. Like, they really, really need a running back. uh, David Montgomery's contract is up this offseason. Call the Bears. See if they'll do a sign-in trade. Like, they desperately need to reshape their running game. It will fix so many of their problems on offense and maybe get them back to the place they were last year. Because the reason they were an elite team last season, other than Baltimore just having injuries and wide receiver issues and them being the third best team in the AFC... The reason Buffalo was the second best team in the AFC last year was because Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs had MVP levels of offensive production, elite by all league standards levels of offensive production. And this year when they have very good levels of offensive production instead of all-time great and elite levels of offensive production, the Bills become a very good team. And this is the problem for Buffalo is that they had that level of success last year and they didn't want to reshape the roster. They didn't want to retool the roster. They didn't want to shake things up too much because the team had done really well last year. And the same flaws that happened last year are correcting themselves now because Josh Allen's completion percentage has declined five points because Stephon Diggs is a 1,000-yard receiver but not a 1,500-yard receiver Uh, because Dawson Knox is being used like the Kelsey role, and now teams have taken away Dawson Knox, and so that takes away an extra option for Allen to work with. Still a very good offense. I think they're like eighth in the league in passing, according to the CBS graphic that popped up today. 
eighth in the league is very good. Josh Allen is a very good quarterback, and at the same time, it's not the same team they were last year, which is why this year Buffalo is just a very good team. Can they make the AFC Championship? Yeah. And it would be very surprising if they did. But they feel like a second-round exit this year. And the problem is just the same problems that they had last year are coming up again this year. We saw it today against the Bucks for three and a half quarters and then in the overtime, except for that stretch where they scored 17 points because uh, the Buccaneers went into prevent defense and it opened up everything for Josh Allen. After that, you started to see the elite offense come out again in desperation because everything was made easier for the Bills. Those same personnel issues are things they'll correct this offseason. Buffalo can make a deep playoff run. They would have to do an upset to do it. The reason they would do it is because these sample sizes are so random. I think Buffalo can beat the New England Patriots. Why do I think this? Because if Tyler Bass makes that kick on Monday Night Football, then it's 14-13 when the Patriots punt back to Buffalo. Buffalo gets down into the red zone and kicks a game-winning field goal instead of having to go for it on fourth down at the end of that game. Maybe they miss the kick. Maybe they make the kick. It was a toss-up game against the Patriots last week. And going into the game, I felt the Bills and Patriots were about the same team. Buffalo's going to have to do it through the wild card this year, and they very much have flaws that prevent them from being an elite team. But we can relax on the Buffalo is not a good team thing. Josh Allen's a very good quarterback. We saw it at the back end of that game. Buffalo is a very good team. They will only be exposed at some point, by very, very good teams. So, two teams in very similar boats today, Cincinnati and Buffalo, both making late fourth quarter charges, both getting the ball to start overtime, and both losing heartbreaking games, not quite in the same positions. Cincinnati and Buffalo, not quite in the same places. Yeah, <laughs> just give me all of it, all of it, all you people who said the Kansas City Chiefs were going to struggle to make the playoffs, hit it for them again. For everybody who said that the Kansas City Chiefs were no longer an elite team, that this was the end of their run of success when they were 3-4 and four and their offense couldn't work. Yes, my boy Patty Mahomes is back, ladies and gentlemen, and I've been saying it for the past few weeks. Yes, they have been running the football a lot, and it's worked out wonderfully. Andy Reid, I don't know how Coach of the Year works in the NFL or if we're going to give it to Bill Belichick just because Coach of the Year is always the most unexpected team that has a crazy rise, so maybe we'll give it to Belichick, but Andy Reid deserves some kind of Coach of the Year award because that man is the smartest mind in offensive football we have ever seen, at least in my lifetime, because that dude is so good at scheming on offense. And today they pummeled, pummeled, the Las Vegas Raiders, who again, on principle, told you told you this a couple weeks ago, on principle, Las Vegas Raiders, not allowed to be good at football. Why did we pick them to, to win 
on Monday night football or on Sunday night football, the Chiefs and cover a 10 point spread. Raiders not allowed to be good at football. Today, 10 points, Raiders not allowed to be good at football. Raiders were 5 and 2. Everyone thought they could make a run at the AFC West or at the very least compete for a wild card. Nope. Raiders not allowed to be good at football. Lose 5 of 6. They're not actually a good team even though Derek Carr might lead the NFL in passing yards at the end of the season. Kansas City wins today by 48 to 9 score only because their defense generated 14 points off turnovers, which is not going to happen every single week, of course, but it could happen for the Chiefs in a playoff game. And if they get just enough from that, their defense will do just enough to get them the victory. Again, the Chiefs, as it was last year, as it was this year, the regular season does not matter for the Kansas City Chiefs. And these next four games do not matter for the Kansas City Chiefs. What matters to them is get everyone healthy and game plan for the playoffs. Get a first get a first round bye, sure. Get a two seed or a three seed, fine. It might be nice to have home field advantage against New England, but it's really not that big of a deal. You're going to be fine, Kansas City. Your regular season games don't matter. Six wins in a row. The Chiefs have not lost since October 24th. When they were 3-4, and four, everyone thought they were going downhill. We've had fun over on Comical Sports Memes talking about the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and Baby Mahomes, that, that photo that showed up of the kid that looks like Mahomes at Arrowhead back on the Monday night game against the Giants. Uh, and since that photo, the Chiefs still have not lost, and they have also outscored opponents in the game since then by about 77 points. So... Shout out to the, oh no, it has to be more than that because they won today by 39. So let's see, it was 54 plus 39. Then if you mix in last week's game, that's about 100 points in six games. Kansas City Chiefs whomping everybody. And I know this isn't real analysis and this is just me doing the Skip Bayless entertainer role, but Mahomes is a bad man. Love me some Patty Mahomes and love me some Kansas City Chiefs. Nine and four, one seed in the AFC, best team in the AFC, elite team in the AFC. You're goddamn right because Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to be special for the Kansas City Chiefs to keep on winning. So I'm going to take this victory lap here today, do my little dance before I get very angry in the next segment. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off. Priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds. Never a dull moment. So Lamar Jackson got hurt. After we'd been talking about for six to eight weeks about how the Ronnie Stanley injury was probably the most significant injury in the NFL this year and how the Baltimore Ravens traded Orlando Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs before the season started for a uh, equivalent of a high second-round pick. 
and how Alejandro Villanueva is a washed left tackle leading the league in penalties at the left tackle position for the Baltimore Ravens, and how J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both suffered season-ending injuries on offense, and how the Baltimore Ravens were so disappointing. We spent an entire damn podcast last week, not not really the entire podcast, but the entire A block of our NFL Monday podcast, 20 minutes, talking about how the Baltimore Ravens had let down Lamar Jackson, and it was so disappointing that injuries had failed him for a second year in a row while Lamar Jackson was in his physical prime. And now, in week 14, against the Cleveland Browns defense, Lamar Jackson has, according to John Harbaugh, a sprained ankle. I don't know what that will mean for Lamar Jackson playing next week, the week after. When you see Lamar Jackson carted into the locker room, your first emotion is rage because you've known all the way through that this was a totally predictable and inevitable outcome. That Lamar Jackson, who is probably the second most special quarterback in the NFL, some want to argue third because of Aaron Rodgers, I get that. I'm just going by Lamar Jackson being in his prime and Aaron Rodgers being on the back end of his prime. We see Lamar Jackson, the second most special talent in the sport, leave with an injury after his entire team had been decimated by injuries this year. Again, by singularly having Lamar Jackson on their team over the last two years with injuries galore. Last season, they lose their uh, both. Uh, well, last year they lose both of their starting uh, defensive linemen. They lose all of their wide receivers. Running back goes in and out of the, throughout the season, and Baltimore still makes it to the playoffs and wins a playoff game against the Titans last year because Lamar Jackson runs through a six-inch gap in the Titans' defensive line, wins a playoff game against the Titans. I think it was like seventeen to ten. Wins a playoff game with one place. Titans execute everything well to slow down Baltimore, who's decimated with injuries. Still, just by virtue of having Lamar Jackson and a shell of a defense, you can be a top five team in the NFL. This year, they lose Marcus Peters. They lose Marla Humphrey last week. They've lost Derek Wolf early on in the season. All of their starting running backs gone throughout early in the season. Uh, J.K. Dobbins gone for season. They had to sign the entire 2000 and 15 Pro Bowl team to play on their running back group, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or whether it's Devonta Freeman, whatever the situation might be. The Baltimore Ravens had to go through all of that to get there. And then Baltimore now loses Lamar Jackson. No Ronnie Stanley for the second consecutive year. Ronnie Stanley, season-ending injury last year, season-ending injury this year. Potentially future Hall of Fame tackle. And in the most inevitable finish ever, now your golden quarterback. The This guy who has been so goddamn special over the last three years is now injured for the Baltimore Ravens. And again, disappointing? Absolutely. Can I blame the Baltimore Ravens for it? I don't know exactly how you blame all these injuries that have happened to them, but the prime of Lamar Jackson's career has not only been wasted now, but now you have a DEFCON 9 situation where the guy who we've said forever, well, that game isn't going to age well. We're concerned about his injuries. We're concerned about what happens when he takes one of those big hits. What happens when he's no longer an elite of all elite athletes? Now that dude's got injured. And he's gotten injured in an ankle, which is really goddamn important to Lamar Jackson's game. Three years, this dude has been one of the most special quarterbacks in the NFL. And now he's got a catastrophic injury, or at least it looks relatively catastrophic. Again, I said the Giannis injury in the playoffs last year looked catastrophic. So 
We don't know the timetable for Lamar's return. Hopefully he comes back like miraculously recovering like Giannis did. And it goes from being carted off the field to playing again next week. Like miraculous keep Lamar Jackson healthy somehow. But at this point, like, what are you playing for if you're Baltimore? Like, if the goal here is to win a championship... I mean, there's no chance, and there was no chance before Lamar Jackson went down. Their chance before that is the same thing that happens by virtue of having Lamar Jackson, which is he can single-handedly get you to the second round of the playoffs. It's only when you have teams that have a Lamar Jackson type at quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You could argue the Patriots' defense to a certain extent because the Patriots can hit you with so many different things on defense. Uh, so an elite defensive unit like them, the you could argue even like I would love to see Lamar Jackson against the Raven or against the Patriots in the playoffs. That would be such a fun matchup. I'm not even certain the Patriots would beat Baltimore with all of their depleted injury players. If the Ravens had been healthy, at least a semblance on defense and a semblance of protection on the offensive line, I think there's a great chance they're going to beat the New England Patriots, and they would be an elite team matched up with the Kansas City Chiefs, not just last year, but this year as well, because that team is so good with that quarterback playing and that scheme that they've developed. We saw it in 2019. We saw flashes of it last year, especially that game against the Browns on Monday Night Football. We've seen the special flashes. We've seen some of them this year, but less of them this year because there's just been so many injuries and now the fact that Lamar goes down makes this a DEFCON 9 you have just lost your window situation for the Baltimore Ravens as long as Lamar Jackson is in his physical prime you're going to have a chance it's just so unfortunate to see the injury happen now because it was so predictable so much so that we found an old clip on our Twitter account of us making the joke Lamar Jackson in week 14 when all 52 of the Ravens are on IR and it's him in that scene from South Park where Dan Snyder is the only one taking the field for Washington because his players have all quit. And then Lamar got hurt in week 14. Like it was the most predictable situation that we didn't, or at least I didn't want to believe was possible. I didn't want to believe that this would ruin one of the great talents we've seen in the sport in his physical prime. Two years wasted where the Ravens could, should, and would have been in a championship window. 2019, they were literally unbeatable. When healthy, they were unbeatable. And they happened to lose in a gigantic upset against the Titans because Baltimore had 0 for 2 on 4th and 1s that they were 94% converting on during the season. A ball went through Mark Andrews' hands, was intercepted by Kevin Byard at the 20-yard line. Titans went and scored a touchdown. 28-point swing on three plays. And by that point, the game was over for, for the Baltimore Ravens because they were down 14 nothing and trying to charge back from behind against Derrick Henry running the football on the other side. Should have been up 14-0. Instead, we're down 14-0, losing one of the crazy upsets in the last 10 years in the playoffs. The craziest upset in the last 10 years of the playoffs. And then the next two years, don't even get a fighting chance because their team gets decimated by injuries. And now Lamar Jackson is hurt. I don't know what it means for going forward for Lamar Jackson. I hope that he recovers from the injury and gets back to being prime Lamar Jackson, but it's going to be a goddamn disappointment for all of us if Lamar Jackson can't come back from this because we're losing out one of the great, great talents the NFL has seen in the last decade. Like, if you're thinking of 
talented athletes who just, you watch them and you see them do things differently than everyone else. Deshaun Watson was a great quarterback, and even still, he, he didn't have the same flash and flair that Lamar Jackson had. Deshaun Watson was very, very much right there. Even he doesn't get to the Lamar Jackson camp. It's like Patrick Mahomes, Derrick Henry, Cam Newton, Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller... That's that's pretty much it. Like at that scale of we just see them and they have something that is just totally different than anything we're watching. That dude, that dude for the Baltimore Ravens could, should, and would be playing for Super Bowls each of the last three years. Injuries get in the way on a couple of those years. And now the Ravens have a DEFCON 9 situation that could have been totally avoided potentially and you know, was totally predictable coming into the year. Part of it, you know, trading Orlando Brown, tough break. Like I know that one, that one is a real bad move organizationally, the injuries around them, tough breaks, but that combination of tough breaks for so long just makes you so frustrated because that type of player just doesn't exist with that skill set. And unfortunately he, he might be gone for this season for a year that was already a wash for Baltimore now it's putting in jeopardy future seasons with an injury that could sap some of the things that make him great. I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying that now we have the concerns. Now we have the possibility entering our minds. He could play next week, and, and it was just more a matter of precaution, at which point, great idea. Great idea to be precautious about Lamar Jackson. This season does not mean anything for the Baltimore Ravens anymore. A meaningless division title, a meaningless playoff win, and getting pulverized by Kansas City, or getting pulverized by, I don't even know who, I guess it would be Kansas City, and then maybe they have a chance of beating the Patriots with a, you know, the Patriots blitzing them the whole game because Lamar Jackson has no time in the pocket. It's just so disappointing. So... So disappointing to see it happen because now it put if it does put future seasons in jeopardy, that is a loss for all of us as football fans because Lamar Jackson is just so amazing. that song so much brings back such good childhood memories Uh, i wanted to combine two games into analysis here which is about the uh couple of afc west teams out here the uh, los angeles chargers aka the san diego super chargers who got their big win this week against the giants 
and the Denver Broncos, who absolutely pummeled not just the worst team in the NFL, but the worst team in the NFL that had like 20 players have either the flu or COVID protocol this week. So yeah, they got a beat down there. But both of these teams are now in like the playoff hunt, I guess. The, the Broncos are such a weird team in this way because we know they aren't actually that good, but they're like seven and six and they have a fairly easy schedule. So we still have to talk about them in the playoff race, but we'll talk about them in a sec. I want to start off talking about the Chargers because both of these teams had a similar phenomena going on and not just the fact that it felt like both of them were playing the third and fourth afternoon games of a four on red zone, which is something we joke about on memes of the weekend, which is there's always that fourth out of four game on red zone that just keeps popping up. It's annoying. Nobody cares. It's usually got the Broncos, the the Raiders. Usually those are teams playing. It used to be the Cardinals were the butt of that joke. Now uh, it's just a team that happens to be playing then because it's on the West Coast, but probably belonged in that morning session of seven games that were all just crap. Blowouts and crappy football teams. But other than that, the Chargers and Broncos did have something in common here, which is they were playing really bad teams. Some want to argue the Giants aren't actually trying to tank. They just suck. They might be the worst team in the NFL that's actually trying to win. Um, But the Giants and Lions are teams I would classify as tanking teams. The Giants, I know Daniel Jones isn't playing, but you still got a chance to fumigate the organization if you want. But both of these teams were, they're pretty good teams. Like, I think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. I think think the Broncos won't make the playoffs but if you put those two teams side by side like it's it's very hard to tell the difference between the two of them it's easy to tell them physically but they're kind of about around the same subcategory of team like they're very similar to each other and the Chargers and Broncos both had an interesting thing happen today for analysis which is when you're playing teams that can't stop you on offense You can run your offense the way you want to run it. And this was very revealing because it told me a lot about what the Chargers and Broncos are trying to do and how that makes me feel about them, you know, doing analysis weeks in the past and looking at them into the future. So I'll start with the Chargers here. There's one play that's circulating the internet where Justin Herbert throws a touchdown to, I think it was Palmer. It was either Palmer or Guyton, but if you look around, it's the one that Herbert throws at 65 yards down the field and gets a touchdown. Like, it travels 63 yards in the air, I think is what they calculated, and he hits a touchdown. They go up 24-7, never look back from that. That play, the Giants played double high safeties, the same way teams had been playing double high safeties on the Chargers all season, the same way people had been playing it on the Chiefs, and it led to Mahomes throwing a lot of picks until they adjusted their game to run the ball a lot more. The Chargers have done something similar. Now Austin Eckler is hurt, so that changes the math for them, and I saw Justin Jackson was back on the Chargers after he got cut out of training camp. I saw he was playing minutes today for the Chargers and playing snaps, and so The Chargers are going to try to run the ball more, but they don't have the same push on the offensive line, and all of their offense revolves, and they don't have enough weapons, first of all, and then they don't get enough push on the offensive line. Again, 62% of their offense still after this week comes from Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler. Reminder, Keenan Allen did not play this week, and 
Austin Eckler left the game in the second half with injury. So still, 62% of their offense comes from those three weapons. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler. Mike Williams is a free agent at the end of the season. The Giants played two high safeties, and the Chargers still took the top off of the Giants, which part is just poor execution by the Giants. But in the back of your mind, you start to think, did the Giants think it was not possible for Herbert to throw the ball 63 yards and Herbert wanted to take the chance in double high safeties with the possibility that both of them can move towards the ball and now it's a two-on-one for the Giants defenders, which is an easy interception. Maybe they don't intercept it because they drop it, but it's it's set up for an interception. It's the thing that got Herbert in trouble earlier in the season where he had those like 70 QBR games and 75 QBR games was testing the safeties that were dropping back to take away the deep ball. And with less skilled safeties, no offense to Jabril Peppers and whoever else the second safety is for the Giants, with less skilled safeties, he still took the top off them and did the thing that got the Chargers to 4-1 and one at the start of the season and, and were really dominating through the start, which was the deep ball. It was Mike Williams being one of the highest scoring fantasy football wide receivers for the first five weeks of the season. I know because I traded for him during the preseason and he ended up going for a top five production and he's been shit ever since. It's been very disappointing. Should have traded him when I had the chance. Mike Williams was one of the best fantasy receivers. Keenan Allen was leading the league in receptions to start the season. The Chargers, Austin Eckler had a four touchdown game earlier in the season. Like the Chargers were taking the tops off of defenses, which then spread out defenses and allowed Justin Herbert to do game manager type stuff. Because for a while, Justin Herbert had fewer yards per completion than Teddy Bridgewater, who's the guy that we say all the time is small yards per completion guy. You know, he's the ultimate game manager. Justin Herbert was averaging fewer yards per completion than him. And he was able to take the top off over people to start the season. It was only when the deep ball was taken away that they stopped throwing the ball over the top. It slowed down the Chargers offense. And that's when we talked about where the Chargers had all these flaws at certain positions. That's where it started to show where the Chargers flaws were. And against the Giants, they got to play the offense they wanted to. Why? Because no matter what you ran, the Giants weren't going to be able to stop you. The only chance the Giants had to win that game was like forcing three or four, five turnovers against the Chargers because there's no, their defense could not stop anything the Chargers had. Giants do have a sneaky good run defense and just atrocious pass defense. So in fairness, they're not the worst defense in the league, but they're also one of the bottom eight defenses in the league because their pass defense is atrocious. And even without Keenan Allen, the Chargers said, we want to attack through the air. This is where our strength is. It's with this quarterback. And everyone who, you know, I, I've heard people over the past couple of weeks like reconsider the Justin Herbert versus Tua conversation. And I said when we were talking about Tua a couple of weeks ago about evaluating Tua by what Tua is, uh, what he is not instead of what he is, I said, we know what he's not, and he's not Justin Herbert. And that still feels really, really true. It's just that Justin Herbert's going to need more reps in the offseason against double high safeties to try and change the way that he plays offense. But then against a a less talented team, they played exactly how they wanted to, which is Justin Herbert throwing 63 yards because Justin Herbert is one of the few quarterbacks in the NFL, few young quarterbacks in the NFL at that too, who can throw a football 63 yards in the air 
and still beat double high safety coverage and set up a game where he goes 23 for 31 for 275 yards, three touchdowns, and finishes with the fifth highest passer rating in the entire league on the day at 133.1. That's the offense the Chargers want to run. For the Denver Broncos, the Broncos are in a similar position to where the Chicago Bears were last year. The Chicago Bears could not pass the football for shit last year. They were the 31st ranked passing offense in the NFL. The only team worse was the Alex Smith Washington football team. It was, and that again, that, I said Alex Smith was the worst quarterback in the NFL starter or backup last year. Averaged 2.3 yards through the air. Bears were at that level of passing attack. They just could not do anything because there was just no respect for Mitchell Trubisky in the passing game, and they had no receivers other than Allen Robinson. So defenses would just double cover Allen Robinson. Nothing for the Chicago Bears. They were pitiful on offense last year, just as they're pitiful on offense this year. But the way the Bears got to the playoffs with just enough was because in the last five games of the season... David Montgomery had 750 rushing yards in the last five games. If they could just have a respectable running game and a good defense, which the Chicago Bears definitely had last year, with a good defense and a respectable running game, your offense could do... Oh, uh, by the way, and by running the football, not turning the ball over, you could do just enough to keep opposing offenses off the field and you scored just enough points for your defense to help you out and win football games. Is it a perfect strategy? No, but when you're working with no quarterback and no passing game, sometimes you have to try and find your ways to succeed, and the Denver Broncos have done that, and they have overachieved to expectations this year. I bring this up for this game because the Detroit Lions could not stop anything they threw at them. Anything they wanted to do was theirs because the Lions were just terrible. They scored 38 points. How did they score 38 points? With 183 rushing yards from Javante Williams and Melvin Ingram. 39 carries between the two of them and 25 pass attempts by Teddy Bridgewater. You know how many yards per completion Teddy Bridgewater averaged? 10. That is lower than the league average, but still not as game managers were used to Teddy Bridgewater being. No turnovers. And uh, the Broncos rushing attack, 39 carries, 183 yards, three touchdowns between them. So the Broncos ideally want to run the football over and over and over again. Why? Because we know their passing attack is shit. They know their passing attack is shit. Nobody's going to defend the idea that the Broncos passing attack is not goddamn terrible. But with a respectable running game... And a very good defense, which the Denver Broncos do have, ranked 7th in the league in DVOA at defense. With a very good defense and a respectable running game, the Denver Broncos can win teams, uh, win games against teams that don't have 2nd and 3rd options to hit you with. And so it was very interesting to see Denver play that game today where they wanted to run the ball 40 times and use the running game to an elite level. Like rushing 40 times for 183 yards and three touchdowns is an amazing day from your running game. They see Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams as a very, very respectable running game 
that they can use to their advantage, dominate time of possession like they did against the Chiefs on Sunday night when we were clowning them for having a 20-play, 89-yard drive that took up 12 minutes that scored zero points. That's what they want to do is keep their defense off the field because their defense can stop teams from scoring. And if they keep it just close enough, maybe they can steal games at the end against teams that are better than them. And lo and behold, they've done that a couple times this year. They've also beaten up on teams that are worse than them because the teams that can't stop them, they can impose their will, which their will is apparently the will to run the football. For the Chargers, imposing their will means taking the top off of defenses, scoring on big plays. Both teams scored 38 points, and they got to dominate the way they wanted to dominate. For the Broncos, that's by just getting enough rushing yards to get by. Sometimes they're going to lose to the Eagles when they don't have a good defensive day. They're going to lose to the the Washington football team, or they're going to lose to the Browns with, uh, I forgot what his name was. Was it Dearness Johnson? They're going to lose to the Raiders. They're going to lose to the Steelers. They're going to lose to the Ravens because the Broncos aren't actually that good of a team. But they can outperform the talent on their roster by implementing this strategy of a respectable enough running game that their offense is not atrociously bad by league standards. Because Teddy Bridgewater's their quarterback. It's never a great situation when Teddy Bridgewater's your quarterback. It usually gets offensive coordinators fired when Teddy Bridgewater is your starting quarterback. It's this situation that they're trying to make the best of, and they have made the best of this season. The fact they're 7-6 and six is a huge victory for the Broncos. The fact they haven't really lost any game against a terrible opponent, like all the bad teams they've played this year, they've beaten. And that doesn't usually happen for teams that are average in the NFL. Eventually, the Jets are going to win one of those. Eventually, the Jaguars are going to win one of those. Eventually, the Giants are going to win one of those. Just by fluke chance and you having a bad day and you don't have a third option you can punch back with. The Broncos have lost to the teams that they're supposed to lose to, but they've beaten all the bad teams this year. And the rest of their schedule is pretty brutal, and it's the reason they're not going to make the playoffs. they got Bengals next week, Raiders, Chargers, and Chiefs. But at the same time, the Denver Broncos have outperformed expectations this year because this is a team that on paper was probably, and probably still is, a five or six win team. They've already won seven games, and they're on their way to winning eight or nine this year. And that's a big victory for the Denver Broncos. And it was insightful today to watch them play the Detroit Lions and impose their will the way they wanted to, which was apparently running the football 40 times and letting Teddy Bridgewater make strategic big plays while still completing 70% of his passes. Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. They really, 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 really suck. Yes, the Bears still suck. All the ladies now. In fairness to the Chicago Bears, they did technically make it interesting. 
There were 45 points scored in a single quarter between the two teams. It was a fun game. We will not evaluate the Chicago Bears seriously because our Bears embargo is still in place. As for the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packers are really, really good at offense. And the Packers generated just enough turnovers against a bad team to win by double digits despite the fact that they gave up 30 points. A well-done effort all around by our beloved Aaron Rodgers and our beloved Green Bay Packers. And uh, the Chicago Bears song will probably be played more often. I think we should probably play that not just when they lose to the Packers because the Da Bears Still Suck song is uh, one of my personal favorites. Right up there with the Super Chargers song and Mahomes celebration and well, we forgot to play the Browns one this week, but we'll get the Browns back eventually at some point. We, we, we had to talk about Lamar Jackson more than what the Browns did, so we'll get to that at some point. And I love these old theme songs, and Da Bears Still Suck is definitely one of my favorites. So I wanted to close out the NFL Monday podcast talking about the Seahawks and the Texans, which is normally a game that would be reserved for memes of the weekend because it's two teams that had a combined six wins And it was also one of those games that had the setup for a worst game of the year type of thing. Because you had the Texans, who we knew were terrible. Seahawks, who we knew are bad, but not as bad as the Texans. And if the Seahawks started doing stupid things, the game would be closer. But it was actually kind of interesting at the start because there were a lot of points being scored. Davis Mills at one point was the leading passer on the day until the afternoon set of games. Uh, Russell Wilson had a pretty good day. Tyler Lockett broke a bunch of records for the Seahawks in uh, career receptions, yard seasons with uh, 100 receptions or 1,000 yards or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but big victory for the Seattle Seahawks. I want to talk about the, the Texans real quick because I found something interesting that they did this week where the Houston Texans immediately declared that Davis Mills was their guy for the rest of the season. And there was a report coming out that the Texans would be inclined to pick defense at the top of the draft. And depending on how Davis Mills plays the rest of the year, be inclined to keep Davis Mills as the quarterback going into next year. And I have to say, given all the situation with Deshaun Watson that they're kind of just sitting on and Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien destroying that franchise and setting them back years with losing all their draft picks, and not to mention, in, in that context, trading away the equivalent of five first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. Uh, with all of that together, the Houston Texans have pretty much punted on the next two years. They're probably going to keep David Culley around just because next year is going to be another tanking year for the Texans. And they've decided that they're going to dump everything and try and just rebuild through the draft and get all their picks back and power through all the bad mistakes they've made in the past. And in fairness to the Houston Texans, like I don't hate the idea of Davis Mills being your quarterback next year simply because if you're going to tank, tank correctly. Tank such that your team is in no position to win. The Jaguars did it last year with Gardner Minshew where you set Minshew up to fail But Minshew is truly a backup quarterback in the NFL. So is Davis Mills. He was drafted in the third round last year. So like truly speaking, he is a backup. And I think keeping Davis Mills is a fine idea if your game plan is we're just going to keep tanking. We're going to do what the Browns did for two seasons. We're going to get the top picks in the draft. Top five pick guarantee. Might have the number one pick next year. That's the game plan. Go for it. 
Because I don't know how the Texans get back into competition without doing it at this point. I just find it interesting that they're willing to put their name on that this early in the season. And put their name on Tyrod Taylor's the backup now. And we're just going to experiment with the rookie. Even though the Texans are like playing a different game than everyone else. They've had multiple stretches where they haven't scored points for seven consecutive quarters. Like it's, it's been real bad for the Houston Texans this year. And they're like trying to figure out whether Davis Mills is a starter or not is besides the point. Cause the answer is no, we know Davis Mills is not a starter. He was a third round pick. He was like the seventh quarterback in his class. We know Davis Mills is a backup quarterback in the NFL, but you can keep putting a backup quarterback at your quarterback position if you're intentionally trying to set up the team to lose. This is tanking because teams don't tank by throwing games on the field. Organizations tank by putting terrible players out there. It's what the Houston Texans did. They used cap space to their advantage. They traded Mark Ingram and got a draft pick. They traded uh, um, Shaq Lawson and got a draft pick. They traded Bernardrick McKinney and got a draft pick. Uh, They cut Zach Cunningham to save money. They tried to get a draft pick for him. They couldn't. This is the Texans trying to say, how can we use our limited resources worse than any franchise in the NFL? Because we traded DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. We had a generational quarterback. He's going through a a lawsuit. We're just going to sit him, absorb the cap hit on that. We have no draft picks because we traded them all to the Dolphins for the last two years. And we we can't hire anyone other than David Culley, who's just going there to collect checks and he's going to get fired in two years because he was never going to be a head coach in any stop that he goes to. So at that point... Where are we as a franchise? And they've decided, top of the draft, it's the way to go. These next two years, those top picks are going to pay off. And I was surprised that they were willing to put their name on it already because that requires a certain level of foresight by the Houston Texans. Foresight, I was not sure that they had in their tool bag. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy NFL Monday podcast and thank you for stopping into all of the great content we have here. Check out the, the uh, Memes of the Weekend podcast. It's right above this one. If you just listened to that, stay tuned for Wired Up. We'll talk Formula One a little bit. Download our podcast with Gage Bridgeford last week, our Stripe Hype Wednesday, which is still very relevant. We play a lot of games. Check out our podcast from Friday on The Lockout. All kinds of great content. Appreciate each and every one of you continuing to support this page and this well, this podcast. I'm very tired. We have just recorded two hours worth of podcasts. This is after the Sunday night game finishes. This is the very end. I'm going to go to sleep now. Have a great night, everybody, or evening, or afternoon, or morning, however and whenever you are listening. For me, it's night. I'm going to go to sleep. Take it easy, everybody.